Welcome to the No Shame on You podcast, where we talk to mental health professionals, educators, and advocates. No Shame on You is a 501c3 organization dedicated to eliminating the stigma associated with mental health conditions and raising awareness. Our goal is for people who need help to seek it, for family members and friends to know how to provide proper support and to save lives. Welcome to No Shame on News podcast. I'm Wendy Singer, Director of Programming, and we are so excited today. We are talking about early childhood age children and mental health, and we really are thrilled to have a wonderful guest with us. Um, someone who we worked together for years. Her name is Jen Stryker. Jen is a licensed clinical social worker and the assistant director of social services for JCC Chicago, where she has worked for over 17 years in a ton of different capacities. She holds a master's of social work from Loyola, Loyola University, Chicago, and both a master's of science in child development and a postgraduate certificate in infant mental health from the Erickson Institute. Um, JCC social services team is huge. It's robust and it's there to partner with both staff and parents to support the developmental and psychosocial well-being of children and families at seven early childhood centers, nine day camps across the Chicago land and all kinds of other youth programming. Jen develops and facilitates and supports groups um, and other creative programming for parents of young infants in the community. She lives in Chi-Town with her husband, a CPS teacher, who back in the day when I was 24 and he was 28, and I was a summer camp director, he was my camp counselor. We were so lucky, so we have that neat connection. And she also has two sons who are 13 and 10 and a half. I love how you wrote that. 10 and a half. I think that's really important. Who have participated in JCC programming since their early childhood years. So thus, Jen also has had personal experience rearing young ones herself. Welcome, Jen, to our podcast. Thanks for having me. It's so good to see you and reconnect with you. And um, I know that you're one of the best. So I just am thrilled to have you to pick your brain and talk with our constituents and listeners about this topic. Tell us a little bit, if I missed anything about you, um, that that you might want to fill in. And I'll piggyback that with how you ended up in this particular interest in mental health. Sure. Well, um, I think you got it all pretty much in my bio. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have worked with children and families in a lot of different ways since you know, well, gosh, I would say probably since junior high babysitting, but, um, you know, out of college, I worked for a nonprofit that worked with kids in the, in the city of Chicago, um, supporting them with scholarships and also like a mentoring program, a sort of big brother, big sister program. And through that work and really, um, some different things that got me working more close. So I worked mostly on the volunteer side with that, but, Um, I ended up working closely with some of the families who were Spanish speaking, um, and that sort of brought me into uh, the child development and social work world. Uh, I got to do a little bit more of that kind of direct family support and and just fell in love and really enjoyed uh, getting to know families in that sort of intimate way and playing a supporting role. Awesome. And I wanted to chime in that through your work at JCC Chicago, you in the summers you work with all these 
day camps, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids. And this year, we are honored at No Shame on You to have one of your camp parents on our team. He is the amazing Alec Hotmeyer. He is an intern at Northeastern University, and he's with No Shame on You, and he is on the call with us today. He's going to ask some questions, too. Alec has a robust career as an entrepreneur, running and managing tons of different businesses. And here's the other cool, amazing thing about him is he was a stay-at-home dad for 10 years. And I just give him a lot of credit because I don't think I could have done that. And he shared a cool statistic with me that 10% of dads did this before the pandemic, and it did raise to 15%. But kudos to him. And Alec is here. Alec, welcome to our podcast. And thanks for being our, our, my, my partner today. Thank you. Um, Alec, you, you had some questions um, about understanding the child's environment. So I'm going to pass it off to you to ask those questions. So I wanted to get, you know, probably dive down or do a little more specific, you know, what would you say are the factors in a child's environment that really contribute to their mental health well-being? Yeah, well, um, I think when we're talking about very young children, the environment plays an, an or incredibly central role. Um, and within that, I would say the number one thing that influences a child's mental well-being is uh the well-being and responsiveness of their caregivers, um, specifically their parents, or if they're not living with a parent, you know, whoever that adult is in their lives that is caring for them most directly, uh, we know that their mental health actually very directly impacts the mental health of the kiddos in their care because obviously mental health challenges in adults, they affect your ability to be attuned to children, to um have your own self-regulation, which in turn influences the child's regulation, all of those pieces. So um, a lot of the work that I do is actually focused on um, supporting the capacities of caregivers and teachers and camp counselors, you know, the adults who are caring for the children. It's really about um, supporting their, uh, their skills and abilities to be present and responsive. And what would be sort of a way a go-to way to assess those, the skills or the parents or the caregivers? Yeah, absolutely. Well, especially when working with with the youngest kids, our, you know, birth to five population. This is why I love working with this population, uh, because you can't do it without the family involvement. Um, And so it's really about lots of conversations, lots of information gathering, lots of being curious about how you know, what is the parent's world like? Um, you know, uh, it depends on the scenario and how I'm brought into a situation, but uh, I like to do a mul- like multifaceted kind of information gathering. I, I observe kids in classrooms or in camp groups. I talk to the teachers or counselors. I talk to the parents. If there are any other professionals involved with the kiddo, I like to reach out and talk with them because um, we all know that kids also present differently in different environments. Again, going back to how does the environment affect? Um, and so just gathering lots of different perspectives on that child and their their behavior or their emotional state um, can really help us understand more. And so I, I like to know a little bit more about the family history and um, how did how did they come to be the caregiver of this child? And what was that journey like? Um, what are some other stressors or things that they're coping with 
in their own life. Because again, you know, we know there's this study, the ACEs study that I'm sure you've heard and talked about before, the adverse childhood experiences study um, that really looks at things like um, societal things like poverty or trauma or um, I'm trying to think of what else. Uh, Economic issues. Yeah, economic issues, food insecurity, all of the things that um, can influence a family as a whole. Um, and we know that those, the the study shows basically that the more of those adverse childhood experiences that kids have, the more likely they are to have uh, mental health and developmental issues. So, um, so again, you're saying, I have, I want to just ask, piggyback yeah. on that question. It There's more of a chance that they would have a mental health yes. issue, but things could arise if, if it was still, things can still arise because of biology, right? And genetics and other factors as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, a lot of, a lot of the conversation we have in this world is in the early childhood world is about, you know, nature versus nurture or, um, you know, what is inborn to a person and what is due to circumstance. And what we know is that it's actually a very complex interplay between the two, right? The, your biology might make you predisposed to certain things, depression, anxiety, things like that. Um, and then how you interact with your environment can either, you know, kind of trigger those issues, or if you have the right sort of what they call protective factors in place um, for youngest, for the youngest kids, again, that goes back to that really solid relationship with an adult who, who's crazy about you, basically, <laughs> um, that, that can really buffer against those things coming to fruition. Yeah, it's it it helps bolster them. Yeah. So here's my question. Thinking about my work with kids, mm-hmm. it was always tough. I was a camp director for 18 years at JCC with you, Jen. And I was a mom and, a, and I am a mom. How I I don't know the answer to this because because I'm not a mental health clinician, but what are the signs and symptoms of an infant and toddler? Like if they are struggling, they can't talk. They can, yeah. all kids cry. You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. what kind of things, you know, sometimes I would think it's, it's a little bit harder to determine, but you as the expert, I want to know, like, how, how, what do you look for? What are some early signs that for you? Absolutely. Um, it is, it can be very hard to tease out. And I do want to note too, that at this early age, you know, sometimes mental health and developmental challenges, you know, are kind of synonymous, right? Sometimes, a kid, a kiddo's mental health, you know, we're not talking about a, a child sitting on a therapist's couch talking about their bad dreams, right? You know, so sometimes mental health and development, I would say, I like to use them interchangeably in ways because um, really in this early time, the social emotional development is, um, that's what's most crucial in this moment, but it affects also other areas of development. So um, some early signs I think would be, you know, yes, all children cry. I think inconsolable crying, um, any, any changes in a child's behavior, you know, a lot of times we see sleep regressions or regressions in toileting. If kids are starting to toilet train, um, um, anxiety, you know, it's very typical for kiddos from like, I don't know, 15 months to about two years to have pretty significant separation anxiety. But if that persists beyond that, you know, into three, four, five-year-olds and it's 
not something that resolves with some time and a little bit of support. Um, those are things that we might want to look close more closely at because there's something, um, you know, that's getting in the way of their having developed that base of trust. So I have another question that just popped in my head. Yes. I'm curious. And if you don't know, we're going to research it. But is there any correlation between colicky babies when, you know, the first three months and mental health challenges? I'm just curious. Do you have any clue? Um, I, I'm not prepared to make that correlation. <laughs> research. Um, I think, you know, what I know from working with lots of infants and parents and um, is that, you know, colic is kind of a mystery. Some of it is just temperament, I think. You know, okay. some of us are just more sensitive and reactive human beings um, to the environment. And so um, I don't think that, in my experience, I haven't seen that. I, those kids might end up, or and they often end up being the more like passionate, feisty, real fiery spirits, but I wouldn't necessarily say that they end up with more mental health challenges. Although it is an interesting research topic. So you can take head. that Thank away you for your head. PhD. Yes. <laughs> yes. So we've all been through hell over the last many years with COVID. And what have you seen with infants and toddlers who were born in the COVID era? Mm -hmm. What is it looking like today? Their mental health? Is it, is it you know, talk to us about what you've seen. Yeah, well, those kiddos are now our preschoolers, right? There are, you know, three and four-year-olds. And so, um, you know, in a lot of ways, we're seeing a ton of resilience in these kids, which we had anticipated. <laughs> you know, kids are very um, plastic and <laughs> malleable. And so um, a lot of the kids have rebounded beautifully. Um, they're definitely, I would say, are maybe some, some delays in like social skills, um, cause maybe not having interacted with as much of a bigger variety of, um, either other children or adults that are unfamiliar to them. So maybe a longer period of separation, anxiety coming into school, let's say, um, also, um, I would say some, maybe a bit of increase in sensory regulation issues, like phys like just being able to regulate in a busy environment. You know, I, I remember, you know, when we, our kids were babies, we would, readily just put them in the car, take them to the grocery store, be walking around. They're seeing all the sights and sounds and people and, you know, and kiddos who didn't have that experience, you know, I don't know about you. I don't actually ever set foot in a grocery store anymore, right? Through pan through the pandemic, we started ordering our groceries online and picking them up. And now it's like, well, who goes to the grocery store? So um, I, I feel like kids are missing out on those really formative, early, just sensory experiences where their systems, when they come into now a busy like school classroom, let's say, they have a hard time like integrating all of those things. You know, there's so much to see, there's so much to hear, there's so much going on around them. And it's, it's challenging. It's challenging. So I would say those two things, maybe slight delays in um, speech development, but I think due to like mask wearing, but um, I think the, re the research is mixed on that, whether there's actually a correlation that's st statistically significant. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And Alec, I know you had a question about communication and building trust. Yeah. Now my question, you know, therapy, the word therapy is definitely a stigmatism in a lot of cultures or a lot of families. Mm -hmm. and, you know, what are some tricks or, you know, every clinician has a toolbox and some tricks up their sleeve. 
that make them special? You know, what are some things, how do you get a family that doesn't really know about therapy or has avoided the therapy to get comfortable with it if you see and to get comfortable with an assessment and to like go to the next space that might be needed for them? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think the very first thing is that's super important is establishing trust with that family, right? Um, I'm never going to come in and just say, your child needs X, Y, Z, right? And and kind of throw it at them that way because, you know, they don't know who I am. And for some people, again, that idea of therapy might be threatening. So um, we do take a, a kind of a slow and steady approach. I try to just really develop rapport, get to know um, parents. I do a lot of ob observing of children because, you know, if I'm going to speak to a parent about their child, I want to be able to speak very specifically and knowledgeably about examples of what I've seen to support what I'm saying. Um, and I work with teachers around this too, right? Like it's really important to be communicating along the way so that if you do need to share something that might be a little concerning, you've already shared the positive things, you know, all parents want to know that you see all the gifts that your child has. So really building that positive foundation. And I'm sorry, any child, even the, the child with the most challenging behaviors, there are strengths and there are positives to find. Um, and so really starting from that perspective, I think once I've developed the trust, you know, it depends what the hesitancy is. Sometimes, you know, I, you know, it, I would say something like mental health or like social interaction support for that is usually a little trickier to get parents on board with. Whereas something that's like a straight developmental thing, like a speech delay, right? That's very tangible. Parents can say, people don't understand my kid, right? You know, like it's it's very much, they know what that looks like. Um, and so sometimes if kids have multiple challenges, I might start with the more tangible ones and get that going and then sort of move into the more social emotional pieces. Um, and if parents are have concerns, I, I I get curious about those concerns, right? Like, you know, what 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 does this mean for you? Or like what what would it be like for you? I kind of wonder a lot with with families around um, you know, have you had any experience? Do you know people who have had experience? And I, I really kind of try to get get down to what is that resistance. Um, it's the same thing with behavior, right? You try to get to the why, and then you can kind of do something with the why. <laughs> and that depends on the family. But it's it goes back to the relationship. Everything always goes back to the relationship. And so do you find, you know, in your experience that a lot of it has to do with the relationship of the adults involved? And Absolutely. Not as much the child or the relationship of the, you know. Absolutely. Especially with the age group I work with, you know, we're talking about babies and toddlers and three and four year olds. So they're not driving themselves to a therapy office. <laughs> um, um, so it is, it's very much about the caregiver and it goes back to that caregiver's well-being and that caregiver's mental health, right? You know, in some instances at this early stage, I might be talking to the caregiver more about their own mental health and therapy before we even look at the kids going to any, to see anybody. Um and I think that that it's really key. And and again, the other piece I'll mention too is, you know, oftentimes kids coming to the JCC, this is their first time in group care, whether they're babies or toddlers, or even some of them don't come until they're preschoolers. Um, and so, and we know that kids can look very different at home than they do at school in a group for better or for worse, right? <laughs> um, but, and so a lot of times it is kind of, 
we're the first people bringing up any of these concerns to parents. Um, Because even a pediatrician, you bring your kid to the pediatrician, you're alone in the office with the doctor. (laughs) And so, but kids react differently when they're in a group setting. So um, a lot of what I've had to practice and learn over the years is, you know, sometimes you might say it and a parent might not be ready to hear it or may not be ready to go there yet. Um, And that's okay, right? That's why we do this early. That's why we kind of start these conversations early. And I've had experiences where I've had multiple conversations with a family over three, four years that they're with us in early childhood. And it's not till they get to elementary school and the child's still struggling that they're ready to pursue that support. And the parents usually, I've had many instances where they come back and they said, you know what, you told me. And so some of it is also about meeting the parent where they're at in their process. Um, And it's a process for all of us. That, thank you. You're, you're, you're so good. And I, I appreciate, I appreciate all that you do um, because it is not easy. It's not black and white. You know, it's every person, every family, every kid, every situation, every family history is totally different Um, for new parents. Yeah. Are there any practical steps that they can take to cultivate their kids' mental health? Are there any like toolbox things that you would recommend? Um, absolutely. Number one, don't forget about yourself and taking care of yourself, right? We're all parents on this call. We know how draining it can be to care for little children. They need a lot and especially babies, right? They need a lot physically. And, um, very often, and, and I'll, I'll generalize this. I say women in our society are socialized this way, but Alec, having been a stay at home dad, my guess is that you would relate, um, we put ourselves last, right? We It's all about what do the kids need? What does my partner need? What does my house need? What does my dog need? And we go down to the bottom of the totem pole. Um, that's a real miss because the more um, stabilized and fulfilled and refreshed and, and you know supported you are as a caregiver, the more you have to give to your child. Um, somebody once shared the metaphor of a teapot, right? Like if your teapot's empty, you can't pour tea into anybody else's cup. So um, just really making sure you're taking care of yourself, whatever that looks like. For some people, it's exercise. For some people, it's therapy. For other people, it's getting out with friends. Um, That's not selfish. Self-care is actually one of the more selfless things you can do to support your kiddo's mental health and development. Um, The other thing is, Remember that there's a thing called good enough parenting. So Ooh, I in like the world we live in today, there's a million and one resources, online blogs, things you can read, books, all there's it's information overload. And in my mind, I think it's created tremendous anxiety for parents, new parents especially, right? I want to do it right. I want to be the best parent I can be. I need to be perfect and you know, all of this kind of stuff. And that's just not true. It's actually um the idea of being good enough is what's most important. And what does that look like? You know, we talk about attunement, right? The idea is your baby signals for you, your baby's crying and you want to respond to them because that tells them when I signal my caregiver, I can trust that they're going to come, right? Is it possible to do that 100% of the time? No, it's not. And in fact, it's actually good for the child in those moments when you can't, because then they have to start developing some coping strategies. So um, remember, there's no such thing as perfect. It's about 
being attuned when you can, as much as you can, but also realizing that if you're not, that gives your child an opportunity to develop some, some skills around kind of self-regulation and coping. And then there's always the opportunity to reconnect. There's always that opportunity to repair that miss, right? Oh yeah, you really needed me. I'm so sorry. I had to do this. What's going on? Right. You know, and that still builds that I can survive if I can't be tended to right away. And also I know they're going to eventually come. Does that make sense? I yeah. love that. I love that repair. Cause I think that's something that parents don't realize. Absolutely. Uh, even at an age when they're nonverbal is such an important thing to start that behavior. Um, so true. Own up to it. And the, it just teaches such a foundation for that child. It's so true. Listen, I have lots of letters after my name. I've got lots of student debt to show how much education I have in this. And my kids will be the first to tell you, I scream at them. I yell at them. I walk away. I, you know, we're human beings. That's what happens. You're a normal parent? uh, Totally. And, you know, I still, I think it's important. It's okay for kids to see you break down, whether that's frustration, sadness, whatever it is. And you can go back and say like, wow, mommy really lost her temper. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. It's teaching them also how to like know that it's okay to make a mistake and you can go back and fix it. That's what I was thinking. Like you, you, you are saying, give yourself grace as a parent. And that model is giving your kids grace that we're not, we're, we're human and you're, we're all going to flip out sometimes. Absolutely. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> something that I was told by um, my first, my kid's first preschool director, that was the hardest thing for me to concept at that age, that kids actually learn and grow more when they do a mistake or when you make a mistake, their brain, mm-hmm. such a hard concept to, for, it was a contract for me to take as a parent because I don't want them making mistakes. Right, right. Well, you don't want the, at a very I mean, young it's age. not so much that you don't want them making mistakes. Yeah. You don't want them to struggle. Yeah, you don't yeah. want to see you don't want to see your kids suffer or struggle in any way. And and I think, you know, everybody's heard this term helicopter parenting. You know, we've got that's the society we've now become. But if they never have to struggle, they never learn that they can succeed. They never learn that they can overcome that obstacle. They they never learn that like wow, yeah, I can sit with a bad feeling. It, this can feel yucky and I can do that and I can survive that and I know it's not going to last forever. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, like we all as parents were like, oh, my main goal is that my kid just be happy. Well, happiness is one thing, but it's also kind of overrated. Like if you don't have any other feelings besides happy, is happy even a thing? Like yeah. you need you need that full range of emotions. To be a full human being. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. Totally. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned resources being totally overwhelming, which it is. Uh-huh. But now I'm going to ask you. <laughs> You're going to ask me for resources. If you had to narrow down, like just for new young parents who, or, or old parents or, you know, but kids, kids, parents have young children. Yeah. What are some things that they should know if they, they, they're worried, you know, are, are there any local or national resources that, Oh, shoot, I should look into that or something like sure, that. Sure, sure. So zero to three.org is a really great resource for that birth to three population. Like there's all sorts of things on there for parents around baby development, child development in all sorts of areas, whether it's social, emotional, mental health, or, you know, physical, 
development, speech development. Um, pediatricians are a good resource. Um, in my experience, they're often very skilled. You know, you've got a range. Most pediatricians are really skilled in the body systems and physical kind of health. Um, they're getting better at the more global developmental pieces of, you know, looking at the child holistically. Um, so, you know, reach out to your pediatrician. That's always a good, a good place. Um, and I would say, I think one of the most important resources is just social support other parents who are going through it with you. Um, and, you know, I run these groups for first time moms usually. Um, and a lot of what I talk about is we're going to talk about things. I'm going to send you resources, but at the end of the day, you are already the perfect parent for your baby, right? You need to like tune into what feels right for you. You might read something about XYZ strategy like cry it out, right? That's a very controversial one. Letting your baby cry themselves to sleep. Some people love it. Some people are like, oh my gosh, there's no way I can do that. And if that's not right for you, then don't do it. There's not one right way. There's lots of paths to supporting kids' development. And so um, I really try to help new parents kind of tune out that noise and sort of get present to themselves. And it's different nowadays, right? Like generations ago, we lived in family communities. We had older people around more readily that we could get garner their wisdom and, and learn from around these things. Um, now, a lot of people live far away from families. So like finding that community and that support with other parents can be really invaluable. So you're just bouncing ideas off each other. I love that. And I love what you said about, even if, you know, you're hearing that it's, you let your kid cry it out. If it doesn't work for you, that there is some flexibility there. You know, I rem it reminds me of the story of when I had Josie, my daughter, and mm -hmm. I was having trouble breastfeeding. And I remember everywhere in the hospital, there were pictures of, of breastfeeding. Breast is best. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember I said, that's it. I'm going to become a non-lactation consultant. And that was, <laughs> my, that was my humor for getting through it. And Josie became okay. And I, you know, it didn't work yeah. for me. It didn't work for me. So if well, anyone that's needs a, a non-lactation consultant out there, I'll be, I'll be there for you. <laughs> well, listen, no, we, we joke, but that's actually a really important, that's a, that can be a very fraught topic, the, the breastfeeding versus bottle feeding for a lot of new parents. Again, I think there is this myth in our society now with all this like promotion of breast is best, blah, blah, blah. It's natural. It's the most, like your baby's just going to like crawl up you and latch on and it's going to be fine and dandy and sunshine and rainbows. That is not the case for most people. And so I do a lot of work with, with new moms around what does it mean to you if you don't do this, if you choose to stop doing this? Um, it doesn't mean that you're any less of a parent, right? And it's at the end of the day, if you're suffering emotionally from it and it's stressing you out that you're so anxious and you're so tied to like the feeding schedule and the pumping and the this that you're not even able to enjoy enjoy your baby, that's not working, right? Like what well, baby needs is you us. to be present. Maybe we and should so, go into business. Yeah. Say it again. Well, we should go into business. Let's go into business. The non-lactation consultants. I also like <laughs> the big piece to that is like the cultural that society puts on women and mothers Completely. around that is huge. I mean, when I was a kid, breastfeeding wasn't a thing because formula was just I know, nobody, 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 my mom did breastfeeding. Yeah. 
and then it came back. And I think there's this really society thing that puts such pressure on moms. Absolutely. Absolutely. And parents in general. You're off the hook hook for that. But there's so much like compared. No, but actually, you know, I'll ask you, Alec, as a dad, you know, it can be really stressful for dads, too, because a lot of times the dads are like, why are you doing this if it's just making you so crazy or or the reverse? It might be like, no, this is what we need to do. My mom breastfed me, you know, and so for dads to realize too, like not or, a or partners, non, non-nursing partners. That I was not say. a strong point in my relationship with my wife is my, as our lactation coach told us, if she said to a friend of ours, if Alec could breastfeed, he would. No. Uh, it was, it was, I, for some reason, I thought it was so important and I now yeah. look it wasn't. And I remember, I mean, it was, it was a tough part for my relationship when, when our kids were young, because Julie uh, had the troubles and it was yeah. not easy. Wasn't easy. natural. And I didn't realize that until going through it. And I think even just if I can help spark these conversations for couples um, and whether that's male, female, same sex couples, whatever, like if I can have a role in helping spark those conversations and bring them out, you know, a lot of what we talk about in the group is like, God, there's this big like fantasy about what it's going to be like to be a parent and guess what? It's not most of the time. It's not like that. And that's okay. It's okay to say that. And, you know, we don't always have to say, you know, I love my, I love my baby, but that's a given. You don't have to say that to me. I know you love your baby. Say what's really on your mind, you know? Yeah. It's okay to be real. Let's keep it real. You're not alone. Moms Absolutely. and dads out there. You're training. not alone. We get all this training about what it's like to give birth, but nothing after we leave the hospital. Totally. Totally. It's so true. I mean, even you could have like a baby care essentials class, but like that's physically, how do you take care of the baby? But there's all this emotional stuff um, that comes up. And that's, I think for me, what I love about the work that I do, it's really, it, it really is about, you know, putting some focus back on the adults and what are you struggling with and how, whether that's the parent or the teacher or whatever, how is this for you and how can we help you understand this better and make it a little less challenging? Um, I think that's, that's something that, that I really care about and I'm passionate about. That's awesome. We have only a a couple minutes left. Uh, So just want to close with, is there anything else that we missed that you wanted to get out there for our people and our listeners? And there may not be, but if there's anything else that you felt like you wanted to make sure that we that we knew. Well, I guess I'm I'm hoping, I mean, I feel like I'm hoping that COVID and the experience of COVID really shining a light on mental health in general um, will trickle down to the littlest ones and and adults understanding that like there's a lot that kids are dealing with um on any given day. And we ask a lot of them and and Sometimes we just expect them to kind of fall in line behaviorally or whatever. And that feels unfair in my mind because they're people too, and they they have their own struggles. And so I think as much as we can really respect the fact that, yeah, like there's a rich internal world, even for a baby, um, and figure out how we can nurture and support that. um, I hope that people will like, you know, give it a little bit of credence, I guess. Um, Yeah. Awesome. And for people who are local to the Chicagoland area, first off, JCCs 
are national. They're in every major yes. city, but locally here in Chicago, since that's where we're recording from, um, how could people who are interested in learning more about your programs find you, find yeah. you, Jen? Um, well, I mean, I'm happy to give my email address, <laughs> but our website is uh, JCC Chicago. That's three C's in a row, which can be real confusing. J-C-C-C-H-I-C-A-G-O.org. Um, and yeah, my my email is on there, I think somewhere in multiple places, but my email is jstriker, J-S-T-R-E-I-C-H-E-R at jccchicago.org. I'm happy to point people in the right direction if needed. And I just want to close with this. It's something that Alec and I were talking about yesterday and I felt the same. Um, our, you know, my only experience is with JCC Chicago because that's where I raised my kids. Yeah. But the amount of nurturing care and social support that that JCC provides is so comforting and it is an amazing place. So they're so lucky to have you as you. on their team. And um, I, I'm will say, I will say, well, thank you for that. Sorry to cut you off. I will yeah. say um, there is much more recognition of the importance of this kind of support in early childhood um, over the last several years. So the whole sort of you know, even programs who don't have an in-house uh, mental health staff like JCC does, there many, many programs are now either like using outside consultants to come in to work with uh, staff and families, um, or they, you know, contract with different just individual providers through Head Start. They have social emotional consultants. So um, these services are available uh, in many, many programs, even if they're not in-house full-time staff at that school. Awesome. Thank you, Jen. Alec, thank you. I loved your input and um, the father perspective and the unique stay-at-home dad piece. So, so valuable. I think dads have been left out of the conversation for too long. So um, we're going to have to do a podcast with you alone, Alec. Okay. About all, all of that. I think it will be really interesting. Absolutely. Safety, well, everybody. And- I forgot that you were a stay-at-home dad, Alec. I'm going to need to pick your brain some more about more things we can be doing for new dads. Anytime. Anytime. Awesome. Thank you both. All righty. Thank you. Keep making the world a better place. Thank you. See you you next time, everyone. Bye-bye.